0: I want to dive into our message today. We are in our third installment of our series, The Gift, and this is our Advent series. Advent uh, is a time in the church calendar, meaning the global church calendar, where uh, we take a moment uh, to really focus on the birth of Christ and what it means. Advent simply means expectation. In the same way, in the Old Testament, they were expecting for the coming of the Messiah, We, as New Testament followers of Jesus, are expecting the second coming of Christ eventually. And this is a time of the year where we kind of focus on Jesus. And we've called this series The Gift because we're looking at uh, four gifts that Jesus gives us through his life. Uh, The first week was the gift of peace. Uh, Two weeks ago, we covered the gift of hope. And then today, uh, we're talking about the gift of joy. And uh, we're kind of putting it into practice, having some fun today in church. Uh, but the reason that this one is, is, I think, really pertinent, uh, there was a, I, I read a study done by the University of Chicago last year, and they found in their survey uh, that only 14% of Americans reported feeling happy or joyful. Uh, now, that was in the midst of the pandemic, clearly, And, and but the reason I bring it up is this, um, is, is And maybe some of you would say, even right now, um, you feel like you've lost some of your joy. Uh, maybe you feel like, whether it's just the course of life over the past uh, 18 to 24 months, or maybe just some things personally have happened to you, uh, life can have a way of robbing us of joy. Have you experienced that? Uh, but the good news is this, and, and we're going to see in a moment, you know, in Luke 2, when uh, the angels appeared before the shepherds and they said that 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 God or that, that great joy has come for all people. And can I tell you, church, that message is as true today as it was then. Aren't you glad? So we're gonna look today how we can experience the joy of the Lord as the Bible talks about and uh, I believe God's going to speak to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We pray as we open it up, you would speak to us. God, we posture our hearts and minds to receive from you today. It is in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'll make mention to if you are, I know Pastor Anu mentioned, if you are a guest here, we would love to connect with you after service at our guest service. As Christina I would love to meet you. We're so, so glad you're here with us today. Uh, Luke 2.10 Uh, Many of you know this passage, this is the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, and I want to read this because the angels appear before the shepherds keeping watch over their flock at night, and it says, the angel says to them, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. That word great is about, another better translation could be actually mega joy, that there's this that there's there's significantly great joy, supersized joy, is coming for all people. Now, again, sometimes if we're not careful, if you, especially if you've been been around church or you've been following Christ for a while, we can romanticize the stories of Scripture, and we can sometimes read them and think, "Oh, wow, everything was just so pleasant and lovely, and everyone was so." This was a time when 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 Hebrew people were being oppressed significantly. It's like someone coming to you on the worst year of your life and saying, hey, guess what? I got great news. You're like, yeah, whatever. But that's the context. It was a very dark season culturally. And then when it says, I came to give great joy for all people. Now, again, we read that and say, well, yeah. But the the Jewish shepherds hearing this would have thought to themselves, That the coming Messiah was coming for the Jewish people, not for all people. But isn't it a good news that Jesus came not just for some people, but for all people? Let's put it in a 2021 context. He didn't just come for Democrats, he came for Republicans. Come on. He didn't just come for Republicans, he came for Democrats. I know some of you are still having a hard time grasping with that, but he did. Some of you got that as a joke. Some of you are partially offended. That's okay, I'll move on. I'll give you chocolate later. Welcome to Catalyst Church. He came to give great joy for all people, and that's good news. But I want to share, and I want to look at a passage right before this moment in Luke chapter 1 where Mary had just heard she is going to be impregnated with the Messiah, and she writes a praise poem, a praise song. But before that, I want to give us a foundation around joy, because we can hear the word joy sometimes, and we can maybe have misconceptions. And just for sake of clarity, using Scripture, let me give you clarity on what joy is according to the Word of God. Number one is that joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Acts 13, 52, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, Paul writes that a fruit of the Spirit is joy. Here's what that means. And here's what I don't want you to get from today. But after today, say, like, you know what? i got to get up tomorrow. i got to grit. I'm going to put a smile on my face, and I'm going to have joy. <laughs> right? Because sometimes if we're not careful, we can even hear a word from the Lord, and we can think to ourselves, I have to do it by myself. Now, there's a part we, have to, we, we can play in this. But let's not, let's not, I want to be very clear, it is a fruit of the Spirit's work in our life. I'm not saying tomorrow that you need to get up regardless of your circumstance and smile and act like everything is okay. Because, can I just say this too, let me be clear, because the holidays can be a hard time for many people, that it is okay to not be okay. And, and God is okay with you not being okay. But, and I love what C.S. Lewis says about joy. He says joy, I love this, is the serious business of heaven. That joy is something that comes from God. Here's the second truth, is that joy is unconditional. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 6.10, Our hearts ache, they're grieving, they're suffering, but we always have joy. Uh, the NIV says this, uh, so I'm, he says, I'm sorrowful, yet I'm ever rejoicing. I love what Woodrow Crawl says, that we rejoice in spite of our grief, not in place of it. See, here's the profound thing about biblical joy, about spirit-filled joy. That it's not something that happens because it's the, because, let me say it this way, joy is not the product of, of good things in your life. It's not the absence of pain in your life. That you can actually have joy and be grieving. You can actually have joy and be suffering. You can actually have joy and be walking through the hardest season of your life. It seems contradictory, but this speaks to the depth and the profundity of joy in the Lord. Which brings to the last truth I want to speak to before we get into our main text is that joy is our strength. Nehemiah and Nehemiah eight ten. He, he, he says this to the Jewish people who had just come back to Jerusalem. They rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem. They reestablished temple worship. And here they are. And, and they had just been experienced attacks, experienced hardship. And he says, do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That word strength literally means a safe harbor. It means a place where there's safety. And you know what joy can do in your life? Joy, uh, the joy of the Lord, let me say this, the joy of the Lord, it gives you a strength that even in your weakness, you can feel strong. I'll put it this way, I know it says a safe harbor, but it's like this, I have an umbrella here, and, and you cannot control when you go outside whether or not it's going to rain. You can't control, but what the, what the umbrella does is it, is it protects you from the rain. So when you're outside, it can be raining and you're not getting wet. In the same way, the joy of the Lord is our strength is this, that you can be walking through pain, you can be walking through suffering, you can be walking through hardship, and you can still have joy in the Lord. And again, mind you, the people writing this were not people who had these like beautiful, perfect lives. They were attacked. They, they, they faced hardship. We're going to see in Mary's life. Like, like these are people who walked through some hard things, yet they still found joy in the Lord. And here's my hope today, is, that, is that, you, that if you're in this room and you would say, I have lost some of my joy, that by the Spirit of God, He would restore some of that joy today. He would do what only He can do. We do our part. But he's the one who produces joy on the inside of us. We're going to look at Luke 1, chapter, or verse 47. To give context to where we are in the narrative of, of Scripture, uh, Mary had just found out that she was impregnated uh, with the Messiah. Now, again, we can romanticize this story. And it is a beautiful story. But let, let's just give some stark reality. Mary, Most scholars say Mary was between 12 and 14 years old and she just found out I'm a teenage mother. That was not highly looked upon in that culture. Secondly, she was not married. To be pregnant outside of marriage, very much looked down upon in that context. Thirdly, she was engaged to someone who wasn't the father. (laughs) Not looked upon highly, right? How about you try and tell your spouse or your parents I'm pregnant with the Holy Spirit, right? (laughs) May go a little sideways, (laughs) right? (laughs) And we even have the Christmas story. (laughs) This is the first time this had happened like this. So, So naturally, as we look at the context of this, many scholars say naturally, Mary may have had some natural anxiety because she's about to be a teenage mother. Which, which would have been natural. She would have been shunned by people. People would have turned their back on her. And here her friend comes. Just a side note, this is the power of having friends who love God and love you. When times when you can feel overwhelmed, they can come around you like Elizabeth did to Mary and encourage her in the Lord. Elizabeth comes to visit, and actually John, in Elizabeth's womb, leaps in the presence of Jesus. Jesus in in Mary's womb. And then Jesus, or Mary, pens this this poem, this praise poem that it really mirrors one that Hannah wrote in the Old Testament when she was uh, going to give birth to Samuel. And here's what it says, verse 47 Mary writes, My soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has been mindful of this humble state of the servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him. From generation to generation, He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped the servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham. Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. I want to share with you three things that Mary brings up, but I think there's some application for us in our own life on how we, like Mary, regardless of our circumstances, can find joy in the Lord. And here's the first one, is that we need to live for the glory of God. Mary says, "My soul glorifies the Lord." That word "glorifies" literally means to magnify or to enlarge. That my soul is is making God great. How many know God is great? The question is, is He great to you? And Mary, in this moment, says, "God, You are great. My soul glorifies You. I." magnify you you are first in my life I live for your glory not my own I live to build your kingdom not my own reminds me of one of the 10 commandments where the Lord said in Exodus 20 verse 3 that you shall have no other gods before me that God wants to be first in our life. He wants to have primary influence over our life. And there's reasons for that because, and we're gonna see in a moment, his blessings are to, or his instructions are to bless us, not to be a burden to us, but it's important that we magnify him with our life. We glorify him with our life. We make room for God in our life. Because here's the reality in in all of our lives, is that, At all times, something or someone is influencing us, or let me put it this way, is forming us. This is why you can watch um, a movie. Let's just say, as my three-year-old daughter would say, a scary movie. Um, If you're watching a movie like a thriller that invokes some fear, have you ever watched a movie like that, and then you maybe had a dream that was maybe kind of similar to that? or you ever woke up and maybe you thought about it, or on the flip side, you watch a comedy, right? Like we know the best Christmas movie, The Elf. Come on, somebody. And next thing you realize, I have a hunger for maple syrup and I have no idea. But things form us and shape us. This is why, let me get real practical. It's like two people can read about the same uh, event from two different news sources that have two different angles. They come at two different conclusions. Have you experienced this? Some of you are like, please don't remind me. I have to go home to those people. Come on. (laughs) Right? What happens? Whether we realize it, the news we watch or read is shaping you and forming you. The movies you watch, the music you listen to, the things you experience, the the people you surround yourself with is shaping and forming your life. I was reminded of this, the power of formation and influence. When I was in high school, we were at home visiting my, uh, my mom uh, a few months ago, and she had some old pictures from me from high school. And Christina and my oldest daughter, Hannah, pulled out this picture. For me in high school, I had blonde hair. True story. I bleached my hair with this, like, product. It's probably why I have no hair today in my 30s. <laughs> but... <laughs> I had some friends who influenced me to to do this. I also, at that time, this will show my age, at that time in high school, there was someone who had gotten really popular in music uh, and he called himself Slim Shady. Like, hi, my name is, my name is, my name is Chicka Chicka Slim Shady. So I bleached my hair like, chicka, chicka, Slim Shady. <laughs> Your boy shouldn't have bleached his hair like Slim Shady. I look bad with blonde hair. Somebody at the first service said, you need to show us a picture of that. I said, no, in Jesus' name. We can't be doing that. <laughs> Actually, for real, I did that. Some. I said, like, hey, Mom, do you have one of those pictures? She's like, I can't find it right now. I was going to show you, just so you know. But never again. But have you ever made a bad decision because of somebody else, influenced you? Here's what happened. They influenced, they formed you. We are always being formed and influenced by something or someone. Here's my question for you. Are you allowing God in his word to form you and shape you? And can I just say this pastorally in love? Please hear this. In order for God to shape us and form us, we must give time for him. We must have time with him. I want to commend you today. You're in church. This is a part of a process of God forming us and shaping us. You didn't have to be here, but you're here. You didn't have to tune in online, but you did. But are we allowing God to form us and shape us? Are we making room for God in our schedules? Are we making room for God in our lives? If we're saying, God, you come into my life, you shape me, you form me. That's what Jesus said in John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. In other words, if you obey my word. Catch this, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you. And whose joy? Your joy. My joy may be complete. So what Jesus is saying is that if we do what his word says, but in order to do what his word says, we have to know what his word says. Therefore, we need to sit under the teaching of the word, pick up the word of God, read the words of Jesus, so that when we do what we say, our joy will be complete. If people didn't know that we're talking about God's word and the words of Christ, and we just said, hey, we have the secret to complete joy, everyone would say, sign me up do the word of God. Obey the scriptures. Know God. I know it seems counterintuitive, but so it is like with the kingdom of God, isn't it? Jesus, even the words of Jesus, you want to be the greatest? Be the lowest and serve. In the same way, you want to find joy? Do what the word of God says. Allow the word of God to shape your worldview, shape your perspective, form your life, form your thoughts, shape your marriage, shape the way you manage finances, shape the way you relate to people at work, shape the way you work. Jesus said for us to maintain our saltiness, our light that we shine. Would people around you know that you're a follower of Jesus by the way that you glorify him with your life? You know, the the song, Joy to the World, which we all probably have heard or will hear this Christmas season, the lyric that says, joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. Then it says, let every heart prepare. Who? Him. room. Prepare, make room for God in your life. Don't don't wait till room frees up, make room. Maybe for some of you, as you begin the new year, that's your first resolution. I'm going to make more room for God. I'm going to be, I'm going to gather with the church instead of the teaching of the Word of God. I'm going to spend time with God each day. And then Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So Paul says, just allow God to form you, but do everything for his glory. Do everything to give him honor, whether you eat or whether you, you drink. I was right around when I was in high school, I played basketball and we were playing a team. Um, that were known for their kind of dirty play. They just weren't like the most uh, clean team. They would do things uh, to provoke you to react emotionally. And uh, so when we were going to them to play them in their home uh, stadium or arena, our coach told us, hey, uh, just so you know, like this is going to happen, but do not stoop down to their level of play. You play at our level. And here's the reality. Here's what it looks like practically for you to live for the glory of God. It means you do not adjust your behavior or your way of living according to what's culturally appropriate and acceptable. But you maintain your way of living according to the standard that was set years ago in the eternal word of God and will last into eternity. Here's what it looks like. Even if there's gossip in your workplace, the word of God says that your words should speak life, that your words should build up. Therefore, even though it's okay for me to talk behind my boss's back, God's word said I honor all authority, that all authority, even not great authority, comes from God. Therefore, I will not speak ill against someone in authority in my life. That's what it looks like. Can I tell you that last one? Man, that will, that will make you stand out in our culture. Because we, we don't have to go too far. Turning on news, you see people tearing down authority all of the time. I'm not saying authority shouldn't be held accountable, but I'm saying we're called to build up. We're called to honor and respect. It looks like this, that maybe those around at your workplace or maybe neighbors, maybe they kind of speak uh, dishonoring of their spouse, make jokes about their wife behind their back but you know you're called to honor your spouse. You're called to lay down your life for your wife as Christ did for the church. Therefore, you don't engage in those things. What would it look like for you? What area of your life, because we all have one, myself included, you can grow in living more for the glory and honor of God in your life? Theologian R.C. Sproul said, so the idea is to live all of our lives in the presence of God, under the authority of God, and for the honor and glory of God. This is what Christian life is all about. Here's point number two. That is to remember who God is and what he has done. So first, live for the glory of God. My soul magnifies the Lord, Mary says. Secondly, is remember who he is and what he's done. She begins to recount who he is. She says he's a mighty one, he's powerful, he's holy, and he's merciful. She's focusing on the character and the nature of God. Uh, you know, it reminds me of, of what Hebrews 13, 8 says about the character of God, saying Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And here's why it's important that we, we know who God is, because God's character never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Our conditions and circumstances will change, but His character will never change. And it's important that we know his character and know who he is. So when, regardless of what we walk through in life, we can rest upon who he is. A few weeks back at the dinner table, I don't know how it came up. My kids were sort of having this conversation, and my, my oldest first part brought it up. She said, She said, Daddy, you are the strongest man in the entire world. I said, Hannah, you better preach. <laughs> preach that truth. And tell every boy at your school <laughs> to tell their fathers. I will not confirm or deny whether or not that is true. I will let you make that conclusion. My daughters believe it, so hey, I'm winning somewhere. In fact, little, little Abby, she chimed in, she was like, yeah, he is. I was like, that's what I'm talking about, Abby. <laughs> and, then, and then Hannah went on to say this, she said, she said, yeah, If anybody were to ever break into our house, our daddy would beat them up. I said, yeah, I would. But if I can't, I got an alarm system too. Come on, somebody. (laughs) You know, in case I, I did, you know, chest and shoulders the day before and I can't hit too hard, you know. Just in case. Just in case. But I had this thought. Here they're talking. They're like, they perceive me, again, may or may not be true as the strongest person in the world so regardless of what happens to them regardless of who walks in our door our daddy can take them now listen i'm fallible and i may not be the strongest person in the world but can i tell you i know of someone who is the lord of lords and he is the king of kings He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And some of us need to have the same confidence that my daughters have in me, in our God, because he is infallible. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. And he, knowing who he is, can give you confidence in whatever you walk through. So whenever you feel like, man, I'm not enough, I've messed up too much, I've made too big of mistakes, we can be reminded that our God is a redeemer, and he can turn all things together for our good, that he is our righteousness, that my standing with God has nothing to do with my own morality, everything to do with his righteousness in Christ Jesus. It's so that when I'm feeling overwhelmed, when I'm feeling defeated and discouraged, I can remember that my God is my banner of victory, that regardless of what I'm facing, if God be for me, who can be against me, that when I feel lost, confused, needing guidance, I can remember my God is the good shepherd who always leads his sheep, and his sheep hear his voice. When I feel anxious and worried, I can remember that God is my peace, that when I'm in need, that my God is Jehovah-Jireh, He's my provider. That when I or my, a relative of mine or a loved one of mine is in need of a healing, I can remember my God is a healer. Therefore, regardless of what I walk through, I know who's walking with me, and I know who he is. He's a provider. He's a healer. He's my righteousness. He's my redeemer. He's my savior. And that gives me confidence regardless of my circumstance. Listen, when you know who is walking with you, it doesn't matter what you're walking through. <laughs> As the psalm goes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He didn't conjure up that courage himself. He fears no evil will because whose rod the good shepherds, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is a word for somebody because you've walked through the valley of the shadow of death in 2021. Can I tell you, God has never left you, nor has He ever forsaken you. And He is right there with you. To know who He is. The psalmist recording the words of God in Psalms 46.10, says, be still, the Lord says, and know that I am God. That word be still means to withdraw, it means to relax. A word picture is someone falling into somebody else's arms. You're just kind of relaxed, you're kind of letting go. And he says, when you withdraw, you'll know who I am. Now, biblically speaking, when you look in the New Testament and Jesus refers to knowing him, the word for know is not this cognitive knowing. It's it's the word gnosko. It's the word used between a husband and wife. It's an intimate knowledge. It's that we have a relationship. I haven't read about you in a book. I've experienced you myself. That's why when we read the Bible, when we come to church, we're not here to learn about God. We're here to have an encounter with God. And that where two or more gather in his name, the spirit of God is in this midst. And God is here present with you. He doesn't just want you to know about him. He wants you to know him. He wants to know you. And and this whole idea of being still and withdrawing, I was reminded this time of year, in fact, in two weeks, Christina and I will go away um, on a a little getaway. Um, Thankfully, about most years, it's not every year we've been married, this time of year, we get away before the new year to kind of pray, process, and plan kind of the new year Um, and uh, the whole year. And we really enjoy it. We spend some time together. And just withdrawing from all of life's responsibilities, withdrawing from responsibilities here at the church, withdrawing from our responsibilities with the kids, and just being together. And almost every time we do this, about 12 hours in, uh, because it's a true vacation. Come on, parents, you know this. I've said it before. This is a truth. It's almost next to the Word of God. A vacation with children is a trip. Vacation without children is vacation. And all of the parents said, amen right? Because I'm on vacation, and because you excited, Judah, I'm up at 6 a.m. What kind of vacation is this? Come on, somebody. It's a vacation. You know, you know <laughs> what's a vacation for like Christina and I? When we get up, and we don't have to feed anyone. Come on. Like, it's like glory. The Lord is in this place. I have to feed no one but myself. I can have a conversation with my wife and not be interrupted by a child. It's, it's beautiful. But about 12 hours into our getaway, usually it's a few nights, about 12 hours in usually, we both, after spending time together, uninterrupted time, we have this, like, we both have this revelation of, like, I love you so much. Like, I It's like we fall back in love with each other. Why? Because we withdrew from everything, and I got to know her more, and I fell more in love with her. Can I tell you, it's so important you have a rhythm of withdrawal from your responsibilities of life. And here's what it looks like, to make it real practical. It's like you just getting up and having a moment with the Lord before the kids are up. A moment with God before you get get into your email. A moment with God before you get into any other sources of media. Can I even say, even a moment with God before you go to the gym. Like you have a moment to withdraw from the activities of life even if it's just 10 minutes, and spend time in his word. Spend time with him. What does he say? When you withdraw, you will know me. Maybe for some of you this year, that, that should be one of your, your resolutions, your goals for the next year, saying I'm going to spend more time withdrawing and being with God. Have a consistent of, of each day, even just a few minutes, and then, if it's, and, and, and then put into practice a, a Sabbath, a day, if you're able to, like Sunday, where you come to church, maybe you spend a little more time in the Word, spend time with Him and get to know Him. Theologian Carl Rainer says, knowing God is more important than knowing about God. This is for those in the room, myself included, who can be very cognitive. Listen, God loves it when you study, but He even wants more to have an encounter and relationship with you. The purpose of the study, the purpose of the knowing is that we would know him So she remembers who he is, and then she remembers what God did or what he's done. He's performed many mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, has lifted up the humble. She begins to recall what he has done. And something that can give you joy in the moment is remembering the faithfulness of God in the past. To remember how good he is. The psalmist in Psalm 77, the first 10 verses of this psalm, um, he begins to, to talk about the suffering he was facing, the hardships he was enduring. And then verse 11, he begins, and the remainder of the psalm, he begins to recall the goodness of God in his life in the past. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember the miracles long ago. Verse 12, I will consider all of your works and meditate on all of your mighty deeds. And there's something powerful to looking back and to remembering. There, there, there's power when we can actually have a memory, have a a, store, a stored up of all that what God has done in our lives, in other people's lives, or even in scripture. Here's the power of memory. When we actually start to, to on the inside of us, bring to remembrance the goodness of God in our life. Think about it this way, the power of even a subconscious memory. Have you ever had this experience before where you got in the car, maybe to leave church, maybe to leave work, maybe you're visiting a friend, and maybe something was on your mind. You were thinking about lunch later, thinking about a meeting you just had, and next thing you know, you're sitting in your driveway or your parking garage, and you're like, how did I just get home? You ever experienced that? Then you look for any police lights behind you. Did I run any red lights? Just me. Okay. Okay. That's the power of subconscious memory, right? Because when, you, when you've driven a certain route a number of times, it gets built into your subconscious to where you're not even conscious of where you're driving, you bring it to remembrance. It's like listening to music. If you listen to a song 30 times, they found, it becomes stored in your subconscious so that when you listen to a song, you can recite the lyrics and not even be conscious of it. It's stored in your subconscious. It becomes your system's automatic response. Here's why it's so important you remember the goodness of God. In your life, in others' lives, in the Word of God, so that it becomes your automatic response. So when you walk through a hardship, you automatically remember the goodness of God before. When you walk through a difficulty, you automatically remember Scripture and the stories of God in the Bible, and you can remember the goodness of God to give you faith for what God can do. Here's three ways to remember what God's done in your life. Number one is remember what God's done in your life. Prayers answered unexpected blessings. Can can I give you a a, a fun, it's a fun, enjoyable, and fruitful practice. At the end of the year, um, I try to do this, is take some time and write down, if you're married, do it with your spouse, write down all of the ways God had blessed you this year. Like from as little, little blessings to big blessings, all the way God's been good to you, all the way maybe answered prayers, unexpected ways he's blessed you this year maybe a relationship in your life maybe you got a raise at work maybe the fact that you still have a job maybe the fact you got into that school maybe the fact that man you're still standing whatever it is man write down the blessings of God and what he's done in your life secondly is remember what God has done in other people's lives because here's what here's what is really important and I think this is one of the reasons the enemy wants to keep us isolated let me just say this church is not just a service to attend, it's a family to belong to. That's all we have next steps. And here's how we encourage you to get connected, because here's the power of it. You begin to hear other people's stories. You may not have a personal story of God healing someone in your life, but I know for a fact there are people right now in this room who have that story. So when you get around them and you find out that you have a relative who has a terminal illness. You can have faith that God can heal them because you have a friend that God has healed them. Are you following me? When you get around other people, the family of God, you hear stories of the goodness of God that can encourage you. Can I encourage you in this for this next year? Get planted. This't have to be a catalyst. but get planted in a church. Be a part of the community, the fabric even first service, I love this. Somebody came up to me and said, you know, I, they've been attending the church for a little while now. He said, I took what you said to heart. And like, in the moment, he joined one of our dream team. He was like, I need to be around people. That, that's a key part for me this next year. And can I say that? That's, that's for all of us, myself included. We all need to be around other followers of Christ to encourage us in our faith. And then lastly, if you're like, man, I, I don't have a history with God. I'm new to faith and I'm new to like communities. I don't, I don't know people to know their stories. We all have the written word of God. With 2,000, over 2,000 years of written history of God's faithfulness, we all have access to it so we can have a stored up memory of the goodness of God. And here's the power of it. Even this past week, we were driving to church last Sunday, and I was talking to my kids about the legacy offering and why we give. And anyways, I was just telling our kids about why we give and God's faithfulness in our own lives. And again, our our kids are eight, six, and three. Um, They don't have this long history with God. (laughs) But my daughter, Hannah, as I was talking about generosity, she was like, yeah, Dad, just like the widow's mite in the Bible. Now, she has no history with God, but we all have a history with God in the Holy Scripture. On a side note, parents, one of the best gifts you can give your kids is imparting them the Word of God. Because before they have a history with God, they can lean on the history of our spiritual fathers and mothers who've gone before us. Can I encourage you as well? Do yourself a favor. Get the Word of God on the inside of you. Therefore, when you face situations, you may not have the history, but can I tell you? As Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. God's already done it. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. If he did it for someone else, he can do it for you. Remember who he is. Remember what he's done. Then here's the last point, is expect God to do great things in the future. She then goes on to kind of prophetically speak about what the Messiah, what Christ will do. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has helped his servant Israel. She begins to speak about the spiritual hunger that Jesus will meet. This expectation that was had in the people of God that was going to be finally be met in the presence of Jesus. She she speaks of that expectation that she had. It reminds me of in in, in Exodus fifteen verse one, Moses and the Israelites sang this song. Uh, Exodus fifteen is a, is a profound scripture because the beginning of the uh, the scripture. They talk about um, what God has done, and towards the end of the chapter, they speak about what God's going to do, and they're praising him for it. They're finding joy in it. And he says, Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both the horse and the driver he has hurled into the sea, speaking of the Red Sea, that God has delivered them from the Egyptians. The, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will praise him and my Father's God, and I will exalt him. They begin to not only recall what God's done, but they're expectant for what God's going to do in their future. And there's something about expectation of what it does to our spirit. We see it this time of year, don't we, with, with children. Uh, that there's an there's expectation for Christmas, you walk in that kid's room today, you're going to feel it. (laughs) On the way to church, Abby was so excited today to meet Santa. She She was excited. Our kids looking forward to Christmas, maybe for the gifts like my son, pray for us. We're still working out the salvation. But there's an expectation, even as adults, come on, some of you are looking forward to, you are expecting for Christmas because you're looking forward to not getting up and having to work and to stay in your PJs. Come on, somebody. With elastic pants, so if you eat too much, you won't know. Come on. Now there's this expectation. The expectation naturally brings about a a joy, but we know these things are all passing. But there's a, there's a there's an expectation of a reality that is eternal. That is, God works all things together for our good. Is that one day we will be with him in eternity forever and ever. And that is where our joy can rest. That is something that will come to pass. That is something that we can look forward to. And that we can have joy in Christ. We can have joy in our future. That we will spend eternity with him. I want to close with the scripture this morning. Out of Psalm 51. As I was praying about this message, I felt the Lord bring this scripture to my mind. And uh, this is David, to give context. David, King David, writes this writes psalm. And he had just uh, committed adultery uh, with Bathsheba and then murdered her husband. And he was literally discouraged and in despair because of his sin. Like, have you ever been, like, so riddled with regret about a decision? Like, like you kind of wore it, just, ah, just weighted down with it. That was David. Just despair, depressed, overwhelmed by what he had done. And maybe some of you are here today, and maybe you feel overwhelmed. Maybe it's mistakes you've made. Maybe it's the weight of life. Maybe it's something personally you walked through this year and you feel like you've lost your joy. And David says this to the Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. That word restore literally means to return. The implication in that word is that it was lost, that David had lost his joy. He had misplaced his joy. As I thought about returning, I thought to myself this week, we... uh, we celebrated my wife, Christina, uh, her birthday, and uh, she is, honestly, no exaggeration, uh, one of the most incredible people, I, I think, in the entire world. She is the most holy person I know, the most generous person I know. She is an incredible person. If you know her, you love her. And, uh, but she has one flaw that I got to bring up before the church. She gave me permission, so don't judge me. But she, about every day, usually by 2 p.m., this happens, uh, in our house, uh, we both work out of our house, so usually we're both home together, or kids are home with us, but I'll hear, Jeremy, have you seen my phone? Have you seen my phone? Jeremy, can you call my phone? Can you call my phone? Does anybody else have a spouse with that gift of losing their phone consistently every day? If it's tense in your home about this, just look straightforward. Like, nope, not you, honey. Never. It's always my fault. <laughs> and I have the joy and the privilege and the honor of being her Prince Charming and using my cellular device and calling her phone. But all of a sudden, being like, It's right here. <laughs> it's in the drawer. It's on the couch. It's in the bathroom. Whatever it might be. But about every day, I get the privilege of returning her phone to her. And to be honest, between all of the things she, she's responsible for in life, between her responsibilities here at the church, you know, with our kids, everything she does around our house, she involves herself in our kids' school and their sports. I mean, honestly, when you think about all she does in the course of a day, like, I'm like, yeah, like, it's understandable you misplace your phone. You could misplace worse things like a child, you know? Phone's not too bad. We can replace that. We can't replace Judah. Um, so it's understandable. Like, it, it, it's just, it's normal, right? And here's the reality. Some of you have walked through some things this year. You've walked through some things over the past 18 months. And can I say this, just to kind of help free some people up? It's understandable if you've misplaced your joy. It's, it's understandable if you lost your joy. It's understandable if you have a hard time singing, joy to the world, because you don't feel it. It's understandable. And here's my prayer. It's the prayer of David. I want to pray because here's what I believe. And, And today we covered it. There's things that we can do. We can live for the glory of God. We can glorify God with our life. We can we can remember what he's done and who he is. We, we can look to the future and what he's going to do. But there are times that God, by his spirit, can do something in a moment that we could never do in a lifetime.